Join with me in prayer. O Lord, our God, we give thanks to you for your word, for your truth that you have revealed to us in Holy Scripture. We pray that you would uh, teach us and instruct us to open our eyes to see wondrous things from your word. We pray that you would uh, instruct us in the right use of your sacraments and that we might uh, worship you uh, today uh, with, in, in spirit and in truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today we pick up where we left off last week on baptism in chapter 28 of baptism. That will be on page 865 uh, if you're following along in the hymnal. Last time we got to the first three paragraphs or articles of this chapter, like what what is baptism? What is this? What is its significance? Um, not only a solemn admission into the visible church, but also a, a sign and seal of the covenant of grace, of that ingrafting into Christ, forgiveness of sins, and regeneration, and also our engagement to be the Lord's, uh, our giving us uh, up to. Christ to walk in newness of life as those who have been engrafted into him. Uh, It's administered with water and word, uh, water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit uh, by a minister of the gospel. And we talked about the mode of baptism a little. Uh, It's washing with water. And so dipping of the person into the water is not necessary, but it's rightly Uh, administered by uh, sprinkling or pouring. All of those would be legitimate forms. Um, And we all talked about how pouring and sprinkling are uh, very apt with the imagery that Scripture uses of being sprinkled clean or the Spirit being poured out upon us. Today, then, we'll look at who should be baptized, uh, some qualifications about baptism, and the efficacy of baptism and the uh, frequency of baptism, or, or the lack thereof, uh, the uh, being baptized once in some ways that it differs from uh, the Lord's Supper, for example. First, then, who should be baptized? What do you think? Who should be baptized? Should anyone be baptized? Anyone who believes in him? So it's not just anybody, right? I mean, you don't just go out down the street and sprinkle water on people saying, I baptize you, I baptize you. There's some, some qualification, right? We're supposed to baptize a certain people. Members of the visible church, which include believers and their children. Um, not those who are outside the covenant, but those who uh, are within the covenant, who have uh, been set apart from the world and are ought to be set apart visibly by this sacrament. So those who profess the true religion and their children. And this is who the visible church is made up of. That definition doesn't change from Old Testament to New Testament, although this is now held forth to greater efficacy to all nations and um, not being administered through the nation of Israel, but uh, it is to those who profess 
faith and obedience to Christ and their children. Um, even if it's just one believing parent, we will find, for example, in Acts 16, where Lydia received the word and, and her household was baptized. Or in 1 Corinthians 7, where even if it's just one believing parent, uh, the, the children are saints. Um, and, in fact, that fact is used to argue for the legitimacy of those marriages, that, uh, that one is not defiled by remaining in a marriage uh, to an unbeliever, uh, if that's you know, already the case, uh, because the, their children are, are holy. Uh, and if they are not unclean but holy, if they are uh, in the, the, under the administration of the covenant, heirs of the covenant, they ought to be uh, set apart visibly by the sign of the covenant. Just as circumcision was used in the Old Testament. Uh, in the Old Covenant, circumcision was the seal of the righteousness that is had by faith. It, was a, it had spiritual significance. It didn't merely mean that one was a Jew. It meant that one was part of God's people. It was given to Abraham as a believer as a seal of the righteousness he already had. It was not circumcisional regeneration, right? He, he was already regenerate. He already believed. And he received this sign uh, to, to confirm that blessing to him. Uh, but even though the benefit was received by faith, it was also given to his infant offspring as heirs of the promise, because the promise was to him and to his children, that God would be a God to him and to his uh, children as well. Uh, and so the fact that it was a sign of justification by faith, as well as the regeneration of the heart, as circumcision is used as a sign, there's the, the sign, but also be circumcised in your heart uh, as what it was signifying. This did not mean, though, that it couldn't be given to uh, infants. In fact, it explicitly was. Now, in the New Covenant, the same promises, the same way of salvation is uh, administered, is offered in Christ, but there's different external signs because the situation has changed. There are better signs that befit the new administration, and so instead of circumcision, there's baptism as the sign of inclusion, sign of that one is a disciple of Christ, um, a, a member of his church. And both in Colossians and Galatians, where... Paul is saying you don't need to be circumcised. Part of his argument is that you have been baptized. And this, this points to the same reality which you already have. So you don't need to be circumcised to get it. Um, that you have been circumcised with the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. And in Colossians 2 or Galatians 3, as many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And if you are Christ, you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And so baptism is this now the, sign, the seal of the righteousness that is had by faith, a sign of the covenant. And the covenant has always, in fact, included the believer's household and his offspring, whether that was with Noah and his household or Abraham and his household or the Israelites, when they come to make a covenant in Deuteronomy 29, they came with their wives, their little ones, you know, the, the whole community entered into that covenant together. As for me and my house, Joshua said, we will serve the Lord. And so this practice was not altered in the new covenant, when Peter introduces it 
In Acts 2, he reaffirms the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off you know, on the same terms, uh, the Jew and the Gentile, uh, to you and to your children. And when they come to baptize people, they baptize those who receive the word with a profession of faith and their household. And uh, we find that in Acts 16, for example, both with Lydia and with the Philippian jailer. The Philippian jailer believed, and therefore the, the whole house received baptism um, after instruction, and certainly those who would have been capable of making a profession of faith um, would have made such as well, but the text itself emphasizes that it's the believer who believed, and thus salvation came to the whole household, and the household as such was, was baptized. One could also argue or approach this from the fact that baptism is our initiation as disciples of the Lord Jesus in the Great Commission. How, how does one make disciples of the nations? Uh, well, you baptize them and you teach them to observe everything that he has commanded. Um, and children of believers are disciples of the Lord Jesus to be raised up in the training and the discipline of the Lord. Who's the Lord in, in context? That's the Lord Jesus. Um, and so they are marked as such uh, by baptism. Children are described and addressed in the epistles as Christians, as, like we said, saints. That's uh, the word holy. They are holy, or holy ones. It's the word that we usually translate saints. In Colossians and Ephesians, he addresses husbands and wives and servants and masters and children and parents. Um, they are there among the saints, among the church that the letter is addressed to. And so they receive the sign as such. Any questions on, on the subjects of baptism? Who, who should be baptized? All right, so uh, I don't think I even read the paragraph itself, but let's go ahead and read that so we don't miss it. Not only those who do actually profess faith in and obedience unto Christ, but also the infants of one or both believing parents are to be baptized. So, those who profess faith in and obedience unto Christ, and also uh, the infants of uh, one or both believing parents. Those are the ones who ought to be baptized. Now, let's look at Article 5. Although it be a great sin to condemn or neglect this or sorry, although it be a great sin to contemn or neglect this ordinance, yet grace and salvation are not so inseparably annexed unto it as that no person can be regenerated or saved without it, or that all that are baptized are undoubtedly regenerated. So a few qualifications here. We've spoken of how the sign and the thing signified do have a sacramental union. They're not naked or bare signs, empty signs, but... Uh, there are some qualifications. I mean, first of all, it would be a great sin to, uh, to not be baptized if you have professed faith or to not present your children to be baptized. Um, we should not neglect this ordinance. Neglect of circumcision, for example, was uh, a, a great sin in the Old Covenant. And why would we treat baptism any less uh, than that? It is a great sin to neglect it, yet uh, grace and salvation are not so inseparably annexed unto it that no person can be regenerated without it. Um, it's not 
that one must be baptized to be regenerated. In fact, many people are regenerated before they receive it. Um, Abraham believed before he was circumcised. Many people received the word with faith, uh, like Cornelius. Might have even been a believer in an Old Testament sense before Peter came, but at least when Peter came, the Spirit came upon them. They received the word with faith. Then they were baptized. So uh, regeneration occurred before baptism in that case. Um, so those who have faith in Christ have been regenerated. That's the only way to have faith in Christ. And they're justified through that faith because you're justified through faith alone. So uh, they were saved or they were regenerated. They were justified before being baptized and that was a seal unto them, a sign unto them uh, to confirm that. So it wasn't, baptism wasn't required for them to have that. Um, and that's true not only of adults, but can be true of children, too. Um, that you know, children are capable of being saved. I hope we would affirm that, right? Um, the Psalms speak even of, of uh, the, the psalmist looking back even to his infancy as uh, one who, who trusted in the Lord in some sense. But we even also have John the Baptist being filled with the Holy Ghost from before his birth. And some are regenerated and die before being baptized. Um, not only the thief on the cross, but infants dying in the womb or before they have a chance to be baptized. You know, they uh, are saved without baptism. Uh, like we had said earlier in the chapter on effectual call, elect infants um, who die in infancy are regenerated and saved. So infants are capable of salvation, and we uh, can have confidence, especially for those who are heirs of the covenant um, uh, of that salvation. When David's uh, child died, uh, he looked to a, a reunion with that child, that he should not come to be with me, but, but me to him, uh, looking to the promise of God to be a God unto him and to his children, even before he received the sign of the covenant, because the child died on the seventh day. Uh, before he would have received circumcision on the eighth day. Likewise, so not, baptism's not so necessary that one can't be regenerated without it. On the other hand, not everyone who is baptized is undoubtedly regenerated. Um, for example, we have Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8, who professes faith, who is baptized, and yet uh, when his sin becomes manifest as he tries to buy the Holy Spirit, Peter says, you are in the bond of iniquity. Uh, you, you need to repent. Um, that though he was baptized, yet he was not uh, delivered. Um, Paul also speaks of 1 Corinthians 10, that those who are baptized may apostatize, just as the Israelites had these things uh, sacramentally, they were baptized into Moses, and they drank of the rock, which was Christ, yet they fell away into idolatry. So you, visible church of the new covenant, also need to take care. Now, this also presumes that only the elect are regenerated. So a Lutheran might say, well, one might be regenerated and then fall away and, and not be saved. But that would be a different understanding of what we've already talked about in the confession of faith. Um, So not everyone who is baptized is undoubtedly regenerated. 
some reject the grace that is truly offered in baptism and fail to receive it by faith. And they are covenant breakers, subject to the curses of the covenant unless they repent. Um, to receive the sign is also to uh, receive the obligations to, to profess Christ before men and to uh, walk accordingly uh, in the ways of his covenant. Any questions on the qualifications here about baptism? Um, next is about the efficacy of baptism. The efficacy of baptism is not tied to that moment of time wherein it is administered, yet notwithstanding, by the right use of this ordinance, the grace promised is not only offered, but really exhibited and conferred by the Holy Ghost to such, whether of age or infants, as that grace belongeth unto, according to the counsel of God's own will, in his appointed time. So first of all, the efficacy of baptism is not tied to the moment of time wherein it is administered. Uh, its effect may be uh, delayed. It is effectual all life long. Um, that's part of the fact that it's a sign that one receives once and it's not being continually repeated. Um, it's good for life and even if the effect is delayed, uh, it is still uh, a means of grace to be rightly used. Uh, all visible saints are to be regarded as regenerate. It, some of them are regenerated before baptism, some during baptism, some afterwards at a later time, uh, and the non-elect are never regenerated. Some are baptized and never are saved. And all life long, you ought to receive your baptism by faith and to rest upon its promise. Uh, you, the use of baptism and the, the fruit of baptism uh, extends throughout your life. In the original directory of, of worship, and maybe there's something equivalent in our own book of church order, but the minister was to explain at a baptism that the inward grace and virtue of baptism is not tied to that very moment of time wherein it is administered, and that the fruit and power thereof reacheth to the whole course of our life. So it's not the case that when you're baptized, all your previous sins are forgiven, but then if you sin after that, that you have to do penance to recover that justification that you once received. That would be wrong, right? That is what one falsehood that caused some people to delay their baptism, you know, because if it's going to wipe out all your former sins, then you really want to wait, wait until the last moment so you don't have to, so you can get rid of it all at the end of your life. But that's not the way baptism is designed. Um, it's uh, a sign of our justification, which is uh, the, the benefit of Christ that's, uh, that continues throughout our life. Uh, Calvin would say that baptism is the sacrament of penance, uh, that the, the assurance we receive of our forgiveness, uh, it, what's the sign of that? It's the sign of baptism, and it's what we should remember throughout our life as we confess our sins and turn to Christ for our forgiveness. 
So even though the efficacy is not tied to the moment of administration, nevertheless, by the right use of this ordinance, the grace promised is conferred to such as that grace belongs to. The promised grace is not only offered in baptism, it is really exhibited and conferred. And it's conferred not simply by the ordinance, but by the right use of the ordinance. It's conferred in this way by the power of the Holy Spirit, not uh, a power just inherent in the sign itself, but it's a, a grace of the Holy Spirit. It's conferred to those to whom the grace belongs. Who would that be? The elect. Uh, and it is conferred to them whether they are of age or infants. And when is it conferred? In his appointed time. Uh, God is sovereign over the timing of that. And so baptism is not an empty and naked sign, but it's joined to what it symbolizes. Those who rightly use baptism receive the reality it represents, both for the infant and for the adult. Baptism is intended to confirm God's promise of pardon and regeneration in Christ, to exercise and strengthen your faith, to confirm your interest in Christ and his benefits. It's not one meaning for an adult being baptized and a different meaning for the infant being baptized. Uh, It's a a sign and seal of the same things to be used in the same ways. Of course, for the infant, though, it's from the one's earliest years that that one learns that, uh, that Christ is the one who washes us, uh, that that from one's earliest years, one learns to trust in Christ for your spiritual washing and to live accordingly as saints. That your your baptism uh, seals these things to you, uh, holding you accountable to believe the Lord and to obey the Lord as belonging to him. To be baptized means that you are disciples of Christ, that his benefits are yours, you are his, provided you keep this covenant through faith in him. It means that you are saints, that you have the identity of Christians rather than pagans. It recognizes that fact. And so that those who are baptized should be treated as such, uh, with hope and charity as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as having one baptism, uh, a, a symbol of our unity uh, in Christ. Any questions on the efficacy of baptism? Um, I want to note one of the questions from the larger catechism on the use of baptism. Because it says it's conferred with, you know, know, through a right use of baptism, so we should make sure we rightly use our baptism, right? What is this use that extends throughout our life? Larger catechism says, how is our baptism to be improved by us? The needful but much neglected duty of improving our baptism is to be performed by us all our life long, especially in the time of temptation and when we are present at the administration of it to others, by serious and thankful consideration of the nature of it and of the ends for which Christ instituted it, the privileges and benefits conferred and sealed thereby, and our solemn vow made therein, 
by being humbled for our sinful defilement, our falling short of and walking contrary to the grace of baptism and our engagements, by growing up to assurance of pardon of sin and of all other blessings sealed to us in that sacrament, by drawing strength from the death and resurrection of Christ, into whom we are baptized, for the mortifying of sin and quickening of grace, and by endeavoring to live by faith, to have our conversation in holiness and righteousness as those that have therein given up their names to Christ, and to walk in brotherly love as being baptized by the same Spirit into one body. That's a lot of things that we can do to, to rightly use our baptism as we remember its meaning, its meaning to us, what it obligates us to, as it humbles us, as it assures us uh, that we should walk accordingly. It's important to know who to baptize, and obviously that's a big controversy today, uh, but let's make sure it doesn't overshadow the meaning of baptism uh, and the use that we ought to use of it, having been baptized as well. And also to teach the children who have been baptized uh, to use that baptism as a means of grace, uh, to rest upon Christ for the forgiveness of sins, for regeneration, uh, for resurrection. All right, so the last article here is a short sentence. The sacrament of baptism is but once to be administered unto any person. This is one way in which baptism differs from the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is, is a meal, a sacred meal. Um, it, it is for, uh, to, to be a sign and seal of our nourishment and, and growth in Christ. Uh, it is uh, one that is to be received frequently. Uh, the pattern in the New Testament is that normally it's every Sunday. They gathered on the first day of the week uh, to partake of to break bread, uh, but it's, it's, it's frequent. We're going to have to get to the Lord's Supper in a minute. But baptism is to be administered once, just as in the Old Covenant, circumcision was, was only done once. Um, people could be unfaithful to it and be called back to the significance of it, uh, likewise with baptism. It's to be administered only once to a person because of what it symbolizes. It symbolizes a definitive and unalterable change, that you were unclean and now you are clean. You were under your sins and you have been washed. Uh, and so it's, it's our, a symbol of our engrafting into Christ, a, a change in identity. And you're not engrafted multiple times. You're not regenerated multiple times. It's a, a definitive thing that has lasting consequences. And so likewise, our baptism is done once, and we ought to reflect on it, respond to it the rest of one's life. It's to be administered once due to its function as a solemn admission into the visible church uh, that, that one has been brought in. And if you're not sure about whether you've been saved or not, you don't get readmitted to the church on that basis, but ought to grow up to full assurance of salvation, to believe, if you haven't believed yet, to believe now. Um, and if, one is, if there's exercise of church discipline, there's a different process for that as one is received again. But the sign is now being realized the way it was supposed to be uh, in the beginning. Uh, it's to be administered once due to the analogy with circumcision, which has already been mentioned, and due to the fact that its effect may be delayed and it is effectual all life long. 
uh, all life long, we ought to receive it by faith, to rest on its promise. It's done once, and it's used the rest of one's life. So any questions about baptism? All right. Well, next week, like I said, we'll come to the Lord's Supper as the other sacrament of the New Testament. And uh, we'll consider that. I don't know if we'll finish it in one week or not. There's, uh, it's a rather large section, as there's been a lot of discussion of the sacraments over the years. Uh, but uh, we'll move on then to the Lord's Supper next week. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Father, we thank you for uh, the grace that is symbolized and sealed in baptism, that though we had gone astray and defiled ourselves in the mire of our sins and made ourselves repugnant to all holiness and righteousness, uh, that though our hearts were darkened and dead in sin and trespasses, that you have had mercy upon us, that you have given your Son that we might be forgiven and, and washed and cleansed, that our hearts might be regenerated and, uh, and desire to do what is right, to embrace Christ by faith. And we pray that you would uh, indeed uh, do this work in all those who have received the, the outward sign, and that you would also bring the lost to embrace this grace that they too might be baptized with them and their children. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.